Welcome to Canucks Corner, a podcast in which I, Aaron Lane, give you the skinny on what the Canucks have done recently, how they fared in a recent game, and what's next for the team in the week to come. The pregame show. This is the part of the podcast in which I let you know how the Canucks have done since the last podcast, where they sit in the standings, and any extra news or information I think you need to know. I'll also let you know that today is January 8th. So, when we last left the Canucks, they had a couple of tough games coming up right away. Then a little bit later, they'd have a couple of easier games, and then they'd have to face a head-to-head against Calgary, a home, a home and home, as it were. So they had six games to look forward to, and it looked like we were going to get a couple of wins there, a couple of points, most likely, and then maybe a smattering of a point or two aside from that. Well, things turned out interesting, I must say. So let's start with uh, Friday, December 30th. The Canucks had the Ducks that day, and good old team of Bieksa and Kessler and all that business, and the Canucks fought hard against them, and as it turned out, an overtime win, 3-2. to two. I was impressed. Canucks worked hard. They once again deserved victory, and uh, yeah, things things looked rather good there. I was quite happy with that. So that was an overtime, and we got our two points, so going into Edmonton, meh, whatever. Bonus game. What a bonus game. <laughs> Canucks and Edmonton, another really tight, hard-fought game. If I'm not mistaken, McDavid got, got a goal, but we, again, just, just kept pace, and we made the most of our chances, and again, pushed this to overtime. It went to the shootout, and lo, we win the shootout, three to two. So back to back, three to two victories in games where I was really only expecting maybe two points, maybe one point. So huge bonus for us right there. Very happy with that. Then we go into the two games that in the new year that I'm thinking, oh boy, okay, we got a real good chance to win these two games. And uh, how often do we get to that opportunity and the Canucks go ahead and just blow it? right? In fact, there were many years where the Canucks would have their hardest games against teams they were supposed to beat. And that's what I was feeling here. I was feeling like it was going to be another one of those moments. So they go up against Colorado, and I'll get to that later. That will be our feature game. But then after, you know, their situation with Colorado on January 2nd, we go on to January 4th, and that is against the Coyotes. Now, it was interesting because recently they I had heard an announcer say, oh, well, Miller hasn't got a shutout yet this year. He's gotten close a number of times, but just hasn't quite done it. When the Coyotes playing, we were playing Coyotes, Coyotes were up and we were like, oh, hey, we got a goal. Oh, we got another goal. Oh, wait a minute, Coyotes don't have any goals yet. Oh, nobody say anything. Don't want to jinx it. And then sure enough, we put in a third goal and Miller gets the shutout. And we win the game that we're supposed to win. And we win it more or less in the way we're supposed to win it. Coyotes never really, to me, looked like, for the parts that I saw, that they were really in it. Like that they were really pushing, right? The Canucks had this one in hand. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe for those of you who saw the whole game, maybe you saw a different uh, the Coyotes pushing a lot more. But from what I saw, the Canucks pretty much at least had it in hand. And so, 3 nothing victory. Things are looking really, really good. And then Friday, January 6th, just this last Friday, a couple days ago, Canucks, Calgary. And I'm thinking, oh boy, oh boy, this this is going to be a tough, tough game. We've won a lot recently. We're coming up against this game. 
and and I'm just I'm worried because so often the Canucks will be happy with what they've achieved and they'll come into a tough game and they'll just allow the other team to sort of get ahead of them and then they'll have a hard time coming back and ultimately and ultimately lose the game. Well, they played really really well, but <laughs> but they also they set a record for the greatest difference a Canucks record between opposing shots for and the Canucks shots for in a victory. <laughs> okay, let me see. I don't, I don't see if I can grab the numbers here for that. They're outshot 46 to 13. So that is a difference of 33 shots. And they win. And they score four goals on 13 shots. So Frelik gets both Calgary goals. Chapu gets his first goal as a Canuck. Erickson. Grandland gets a couple. And yeah, no, it is. It's it's a great game, and the Canucks play play it really, really well. So yeah, it, it's been a great week. Very, very happy. And now they've got Calgary on January seventh. Last night it was okay. The Canucks funny. They, they they got more shots on net, and in fact, I think in the second period they got more shots than they had in all the previous game. But it was one of those times where they just couldn't get. They, they couldn't put the puck in when they got the chances. And they couldn't get enough chances. Quality scoring chances. And as a result, they come up short. It's it's 2-1 to one for a good chunk of the third period. And the Canucks have some chances. And they even get power play, if I'm not mistaken. But then Calgary scores with about a minute and a half left and to make it 3-1. to one, And that pretty much seals the deal. And the Canucks lose. And that, you know, that sucks. But given those that set of six games you got that set of six games and that's that's the loss i would have lost a lot of money (laughs) so so that's great i'm I'm just i'm i'm thrilled that the canucks did so well in those six games and that just yeah that brings us to the the standings now those six games especially those first five and the kings game so the kings game all the way through to the first calgary game I take total credit for. I'm just saying. I'd started the podcast. I've done the podcast for this whole time. My focus was on the Canucks. Clearly the Canucks responded. They knew, got an extra set of important eyes on us. We better play to our best potential. And that's what they did. <laughs> At least I'm going to take credit for it anyway. Oh, uh, just a quick note. The the Canucks on Friday lost Hanov. And I don't know whether or not he came back for the Saturday game. I think it wasn't great news. I don't quite remember. I thought at least he was questionable. And then they also lost Tremkin for, I heard, for a period of the of the game last night. So they were, they were down on defensemen uh, in Calgary there. Not as an excuse, obviously, because, you know, you can never use that sort of thing as an excuse. But it shows the Canucks' lack of depth. And so does those numbers behind. If you look at how many games they've won with Edler and Tanev in their lineup, they lose top two defensemen pretty much just like any other team. I'm sure that the numbers are pretty much similar across the board. But you lose two key components to your defense, and you're not going to be able to have as much success. So that may have been that may have played a role in the uh, in the loss as well. But I'm not going to worry too much about it. As long as they can get healthy and uh, get back to it, we're fine. All right. Let's look at that. Uh, looks slightly better yesterday than it does today. But let's look at the standings. So we've still got Chicago, Minnesota, and St. Louis. 
uh, from the Central, San Jose, Anaheim, and Edmonton uh, from the Pacific. And then the wild card currently going to Calgary and Los Angeles with Vancouver right behind as the Canucks lost last night. Los Angeles won. So the Canucks are only one point out of a wild card spot. And if you have a look at... Oh, and they're two points ahead of Nashville and Winnipeg, who are right behind them. Looking at their division standings, things didn't change a ton, but at least the the points did. So San Jose first with 50 points, tied with Anaheim. 49 points, Edmonton, right behind them. So 1, 2, and 3 are only separated by one point currently. And then three points behind that is Calgary. So 46 points for Calgary. 44 for Los Angeles. 43 for Vancouver. And way, way down at the bottom is Arizona at 30. So that 13-point lead all of a sudden on Arizona looks pretty good. So we're back in the mix. We are in a position now where we're definitely um, we're definitely getting the job done in terms of keeping close, playing good hockey, and just putting some good games together. So that was that was a really good week. A really good week. Now, not every week's going to be like this guaranteed but it's nice to have these weeks every once in a while just to remind yourself that you know you're a solid team and you're looking pretty strong so uh newsworthy aside from the injuries the injury front mm, Bo Horvat <laughs> Bo Horvat scored the other day was it the first game against Calgary I think it was maybe the first game against Calgary or the game against Arizona anyway and some kid had a, a sign in the crowd saying if Bo Horvat scores I'll get a wiener dog. My dad said I'd get I'll get a wiener dog. And Bull Horvat scored. And so the kid, I guess, gets this wiener dog. The dad, I think, was asked about it afterwards and yeah, he said, Well, you know, we're definitely gonna look into it now. At least in front of the cameras and you know, saying that he's gonna stick to that promise. Now, the interesting thing that happened there was then in, on Twitter, Bull Horvat started getting this um the hashtag hot dog Horvat and they decided to the Canucks PR people decided to, to hoop it up and make these shirts for that said hot dog Horvat on that I think had a little wiener dog picture on it from what I recall and sold these shirts for charity if I remember correctly to charity for the animal shelters to help with that end of things to save some puppy dogs lives which is you know a pretty wonderful thing so, this Horvat goal turns into this kid getting this dog and some local dogs getting some charity money, which is uh, pretty awesome. But what I do want to note is that may be Horvat's nickname from here on in. That's that's a, uh, that's a nickname, all right? Hot Dog Horvat? Now, being a hot dog, that's sometimes a negative thing. Oh, he's a hot dog. He just likes to get out on the ice and be arrogant and show that he's fantastic when really he's not that great but the truth of it there is it's not the worst nickname in the world suggests that you do have some talent and you do like to show off every once in a while but hey it's all good it's all good in the hood because yeah i mean you could have something nasty or you could have something just plain where you just add like the z to the end of the name you know or whatever (laughs) it's like hey bozy how you doing bozy i remember marcus nasland this is our captain for so many years that we've just has he's put the Canucks on his shoulders and he is the face of the Canucks for so long. 
and his great nickname, as best as most people can tell, was just Nazi. <laughs> and it's just really, you're, you're, I mean, we've got Steamer, Stan Smeal, and we've got the Russian Rocket. We've got some couple at least of really good, solid nicknames there. And then Marcus Naslander, oh, Captain, my Captain, goes ahead and, yeah, good old Nazi. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so good for Horvat getting a, an actual nickname. And hopefully he'll continue to hot dog it on the ice and, and look pretty darn good as a Canuck for quite a number of years. But there we go. So those are the uh, the bits of news that I think need to be passed along. And it is time for the feature game, which was the game against the Colorado Avalanche on January 2nd. And it's now going to be game time. Game time. This is the part of the podcast in which I get to analyze one game in detail. And the game that I want to analyze is the game between the Avalanche and the Canucks on January 2nd. Now, this is the game that comes right after the weekend of Anaheim and Edmonton, where we get all four points. And we're very excited about the possibility of maybe having a little bit of a winning streak. So, it's, it's one of those things where you hope that things will go well, and you hope that the Canucks don't get too tight, and that they're able just to relax and play their game and have themselves a win. So the game starts on an unfortunate note, as we note that Ron Smith has passed away. Now, Ron Smith was the Canucks associate and assistant coach between 1981 and 1985. So when the Canucks went to the Stanley Cup Finals in 82, for the first time, Ron Smith was behind the bench. If I'm not mistaken, he was the one to take over for Roger Nielsen when, in Chicago, Roger Nielsen and several of the Canucks waved their white towels in uh, both protest and surrender and get kicked out of the game. So he gets to be head coach for a moment there at that critical juncture. And then later ends up, and this is an interesting bit, he ends up being head coach for the New York Rangers in 92-93. That New York Ranger team was full of ex-Edmonton Oilers, including Mark Messier and Essa Tikkanen and Kevin Lowe. It was a tough-to-play-against team, but it wasn't a super talented team that had really strong ear. In fact, they, they missed the playoffs. And unfortunately, Ron Smith, I believe he gets, he gets like, let go at that point. Guess where Ron Smith ends up right after that? That's right, back with the Vancouver Canucks in 93-94, where in the Stanley Cup Finals, the Vancouver Canucks run into whom? That's right, those same New York Rangers a year later, when they've got some key scorers, and they're on this incredible rule. And of course, you get what I still consider to be the best Stanley Cup Finals in history. It goes seven games. I've got a lot to say about that. I'll probably do a podcast at some point, maybe a bonus podcast where I talk about that, finals in particular. But the Canucks lose, and and Ron Smith holds on for another year, and then goes off from there to be the head coach for an IHL team, Cincinnati Cyclones, and after an AHL team, the Lowell Lock Monsters. So he had a, a full life coaching, and he was a key component to the Canucks, those two long playoff runs, and he'll be missed. He's... He was a good hockey guy, and I always felt that he complimented our coaches very well, 
so well, I mean, looking at it in retrospect, because he never really stood out too much. He never, you know, made a big deal of, of, you know, he never really showed that he had an ego where it was like, no, you've got to listen to me, you can't listen to the coach, or, you know, something silly like that. He was always super respectful, and he was low-key, and he was, you know, he just seemed like an awesome guy. And yeah, so, we'll miss him. All right, on to the game. This was uh, a game where uh, Rodin got to play, and his first shift was kind of interesting, in so much as he went about chasing the puck around, for the most part. And you could see that he wasn't, like, he was watching the puck a lot. He wasn't, he wasn't being where the puck was going to be, right? Which is what I mean by chasing it around. And as a result, just didn't really get in a good place until he stuck his butt in front of the net. The kid's got good hands. If he gets in front of the net, he's going to get his share of goals. He's going to tip some in. He's going to get rebound goals. He'll get some goals. The other guy who was pretty active in that first part of the first period was Skilly. Now, I can't remember if that's actually how you say his name, but that's how I'm going to say it. So, he's Skilly. <laughs> he had some really good energy. He was running and, you know, running and skating in the forecheck. He was making a, a bother of himself, which was nice to see. So, nice to see that sort of energy from the young guys. Then we, then I have a note here about Sedin. I think it was Henrik. He goes ahead and he, they have to change. And, and the Canucks had been holding onto the puck quite a bit at the time. And instead of dumping it in, he drops it to Hutton, who had just come on for his shift. And Hutton then grabs it and then goes for a skate and waits for the rest of the guys to change. And so instead of dumping it in and changing possession, you know, losing possession, to do a line change, they get it to the new guy on the ice. The new guy on the ice skates it around until all the other guys get on. Now, this was a tactic I first saw done with the Soviet team in the 1970s and early 80s. They had this ideology where they they said the most important thing is puck possession. If you've got the puck, the other team doesn't. So it's really hard for the other team to score. <laughs> the logic is infallible, right? So they practiced. They practiced making sure that even on line changes, they would retain possession. And so they did a lot of back circling and back passing and waiting with the puck when they weren't being pressured. As a result, if you take a look at if you take a look at some of those early games against the Soviets, you'd see them driving the Canadians crazy because they would just keep holding onto the puck and holding onto the puck and holding onto the puck and passing it and passing it and passing it. And the Canadians would just do this. They'd get the puck, they'd dump it in, they'd and then they'd lose possession. And the Canadians had a hard time simply because they didn't have the puck that often. And the Soviets had it all the time. Anyway, they went ahead and passed that on to the Swedes. The Swedes picked that up as as a standard way of doing things. And then, of course, as both the Soviet and the Swedes, you know, started coming into the NHL, they brought that part of their game into the NHL with them during the 1980s and early 90s. And you really saw it with the Red Wings of the late, the late 90s, mid to late 90s, with Steve Eiserman and Brendan Shanahan and guys like this. Well, Sergei Fedorov and all of those guys. Larry Onoff had gone there after he was with the Canucks. And that was part of the Red Wings' success, was they followed that same sort of puck possession being key sort of attitude. As a result, they, they won a couple Stanley Cups and, and looked to be pretty much the dominant team of that age. So there you go. The more the Canucks can act like that, probably the better. But anyway, another thing I noticed here in the first period... 
Tremkin is getting shots through, and they're hard shots. They're heavy. And I'm thinking, boy, if this guy can be powerfully defensive defenseman and be able to get shots through, heavy shots, those are the types of shots that they get through and they get deflected in. They get the low shots go off pads right on the Canucks sticks, sticks into the net, right? So off of rebounds. It's going to be a good thing. So about six minutes uh, left in the first period, and Skilly's on the fourth line, and he's they're just kicking butt. I think it's a Gonces on the line too, and they're just going in and they're forechecking hard and they're playing with such great energy that I'm really thinking, okay, we've got a good chance in this game for sure. We just got to get the puck in the net. Not only do we have a good chance, but the Canucks start shooting and we start seeing more and more shots heading towards the net. And I'm thinking, wow, this is great. The whole Canucks team seems to be getting those shots on. And again, I have a good feeling about it. Oh, and then at some point, just right near the end of the period, Henrik decides to, in his zone, kind of between the boards and the goal, the puck gets up in the air, and he swats it with his hand, with his glove, right towards the goal. And I was like, oh, Henrik. And it almost results in the puck going in the net. So, yeah, that's that was a bit a bit of a moment. Last note for the first period, it ends up 0-0. Zero, zero. But I noticed the Canucks are doing more dumping and chasing in this game. So remember how in the Kings game I was saying that they were carrying the puck over the the line a little bit too often. And in this game, they're really showing their energy. And they're dumping and chasing more. And it's having the the effect that I was hoping for. The defense now have, have to back off from the line. They have to turn around. And they have to go get pucks. And sometimes they're not getting them. Sometimes the Canucks are beating them to the pucks. Sometimes... They'll have the puck for a moment, and then the Canucks will take it off of them. So they're creating a much better forecheck. It's just, it's turning into a much better game for the Canucks. Second period, getting a power play early. Sketcher just rings one off the post. And it's funny, because I'm thinking, it actually crosses my mind. He's getting, he's not only taking shots, but he's getting them through, right? And then I see who he's talking to on the bench, and it's assistant coach Doug Lidster. And to me, that's personally kind of funny. Because back when Doug Lister used to play for the Canucks, what I used to notice was out of all the Canucks defense, he was the one who couldn't get shots through to the net to save his life. He didn't have a hard shot, and he didn't have a quick one necessarily. So guys would get in front of him all the time. And there, I mean, there was a ton of block shots from the stick of Doug Lister, from what I recall. I mean, it may be... It may just be my memory. It may just be kind of confirmation bias at the time where I thought, oh, Doug Lister gets his shots blocked a lot of time. Oh, look, there's another one. There's another one. And I just noticed the one said it got blocked, but maybe he got as many blocked as everyone else did. And I just was focusing on him when they were getting blocked. But it was funny that I noted that. It was like, oh, it's good that Sketcher's getting shots through. And then, oh, he's talking to Doug Lister, the guy who couldn't get shots through. Okay. All right, a little bit of irony there, at least in my mind. You can tell me whether or not uh, you remember Lidster having that problem, but if you if you can recall that. But all right, we have uh, Magna was with the Sedins for a bit, and he looked good. Like, he took shots as well. Sedins got him the puck, and he just, he looked solid. Not that I want to see him, the Sedins, all the time, but every now and then, put him on there, I think is a good thing. Not only for the Canucks, you know, to get that sort of mix with the Sedins, but also for him for development. So, good on him. Finally, we get a goal. Horvat scores from uh, Hutton and Rodine. 
Rodine gets his first assist. Yay, Rodine! I recall it was coming across the blue line after kind of a broken up play at center, getting the puck ahead quickly to to Hutton, who crossed the line with Horvat off to his to his right, and Hutton gets it to Horvat, who one times it into the net. It was a great goal, no question. It really showed between two young players, Horvat and Hutton, a really classic. Like I mean, go back to Gretzky and Curry, or to Dion and Simmer. Um, <laughs> great centermen and their wingers, you know. But yeah, that's the yeah that's how far I went on that one. But yeah, Lemieux and Kevin Stevens. Okay, but no, I mean two two really talented players going in and knowing where each other happens to be at any given moment, and then bang bang, there it goes. It's just great, awesome goal. Chapu getting a hooking penalty just after uh, Horvat has scored. I don't know how many times I see this, but it drives me crazy that a team gets works really hard, gets just through their their talent and hard work alone, they score a really great goal, and then the ref calls a chintzy penalty on them like immediately after the very next shift. It's it, it's like the referees are looking, and I know I know it's not, but it feels like that. You take a look at the entire game, and it's. They didn't call it then. They didn't call it there. They didn't call it there. They didn't, you know, there's there's 15 or 20 times when the first and early second where they could have called something like what they called on Shapu, but they didn't. They choose to call it after the Canucks have scored their goal. And to me, that just, that, I don't think it's right. I think, I think the, the officials have to, have to address that and have to make sure that if they're going to call something, they call it consistently. And... If you're going to, yeah, especially something that's borderline, guy puts a stick on you, just make sure that it's a, it's an actual, legit, proper penalty if you're going to call call one after somebody has scored like that. Because otherwise it looks like you're just helping the other team get, get a chance to tie it up. And that just, that makes it look like you're being unfair. And that's not cool. Because the referees aren't. They're, they're trying their best, the same as everybody else. And they're calling the game to just to... Make sure that the game's being called the way it should. That it's under control and everything's operating properly. But when they when they make calls like that, to me, that's just... It's bush. It's just... It's not the way it should be. Then we get Miller going ahead and robbing Landeskog. Miller being Miller. He had an excellent save there. The Canucks get a penalty. Maybe it's that same Shapu penalty. Maybe it was a little bit later. No, I think it might have been that same penalty. Edler breaks his stick. And, and the, the commentator says that players used to have special sticks for penalty killing that were heavier wood sticks. And so they, they wouldn't often break. Because when you're penalty killing and your stick breaks, you're almost irrelevant at that point. And so a 5-on-4 penalty starts looking like a 5-on-3 penalty power play. And yeah, they got a goal. Rantanen got, got the goal on the power play. Perfect shot, really. Can't really say anything about it, but probably wouldn't have happened had Edler not broken a stick. It probably would have been cleared out at some point before then, or they wouldn't have easily been able to move the puck around like they did. Anyway, just a note there. All right. Something else I noticed about the PK was, you know, it was pretty good this this game, but for a couple of moments, it had this weird sort of T formation where they had the defenseman normally on either side of the goal, but they had the 
two forwards instead of in front of the defenseman in, in, to make a square. They had the two forwards directly in front of the goal, maybe a little bit offset, maybe an eye formation or something. It was weird, but, and I don't know why they're doing it necessarily. I think if, if they're worried about cross-ice pass situations, maybe they weren't worried about shots from the point, because basically that's what it, it allows the points to just have a field day in, in terms of space and they can come right in and take a big shot from the point but yeah I mean but maybe then they can't pass it quite as well cross ice I don't know but I mean it worked out okay it was just it just seemed strange I just make a note that it left point shots and movement available now the difference here in this penalty kill was the Canucks were somewhat aggressive but not effective in the last in the game against the Kings the Canucks got to the players and affected the the player's ability to move the puck or affected the player's ability to maintain control on the uh, of the puck so then they had to chip it into the corner or they had to slide it somewhere instead of making a proper pass and the Canucks took advantage of that and got the puck out but in this case they would press towards the player but before they forced the player into any sort of move they turn around or they'd stop or the player would then make the pass. So in the end, it wasn't a very effective penalty kill, although it was it was okay. Also noticed in the second period that uh, Sutter had a good period, really good. He was forechecking really well, generally did pretty good in the face-offs, took shots, just had an overall good period, and I was uh, quite impressed with this game. I also noticed this um, continuation of this type of interference where the puck's just not even there, and... The players seem to just want to stop other players from going the directions that they want to go. So they'll just get in their way and push their body up against them. And to me, that's just textbook interference. The puck's not there and they're making body contact, stopping the flow of of that player. And yet, I wasn't seeing a lot of penalties being called as a result of this type of interference. But I, I saw it starting to happen quite often. And then the Canucks get a get a power play. And I believe it's actually off an interference call, very much like I was talking about. Now, the Sunnians get on and do their normal thing, and they dominate the power play, no question. But again, no real threat from their side of the, the net, right? And I'm I'm about to, to blow my top. <laughs> I'm about to go, oh, you Sedins, you're driving me crazy. And then they get the puck behind the net to Sutter, who, like I said, was having a great period. Gets the puck out really quickly to, to Barchi, and Barchi shoots and scores and all of a sudden bam power play goal so a couple minutes left in the second period and the Canucks are up two to one yay that's a good thing now I think technically it the goal was scored just after the uh the power play expired but but yeah it was uh a lot of Sedins and then a little pass behind the net to to Sutter and then out in front to Barchi and in the net so it was good good that it happened that way but I think that they were still being a little bit too cute with their passes. too Just too many passes. I mean, even though this particular situation worked out well. Third period. Tramkin. He makes a really nice long pass out. He's hitting. He's shooting. He's making good passes. I think this is wonderful. He's having an excellent set of games here. Early in the third, Miller makes another good save. Miller's looking good in this game. He's not being challenged quite as much. But he's making the saves he needs to make. Sutter is continuing his good play and he rings one off the crossbar that almost everybody thinks is a goal. 
they even stop the play and they check, but no goal off the off the bar. And then Tyson Berry goes ahead and ties it up. There's a point shot with traffic in front of the net, and you've got Boschman and Landeskog getting the assists on that goal. I start to get a little bit worried here, but the Canucks are still carrying the play. And the way they did on the weekend, this could be another 3-2 game in overtime. So I'm, I'm feeling okay about it, not getting too worried. And then we get another power play. It's, again, one of these things where the Sedins are doing their thing, and they're pushing towards the left side. So finally, on the power play, the Sedins start to push towards the left side of the net, the goalie's left side. So, you know, where the Sedins normally cycle. And they actually start coming off the boards, going towards the net. They come off the backboards, going towards the net. So they make the goalie think, uh-oh, they're a little bit of a threat here. The Sedins might shoot, they might score, so I got to hold tight to the post. Well, they get a shot, it's a rebound, and who's there? Sven Barchi, for his second goal of the game, his 10th goal for the season, gets the power play goal from both the Sedins. And yeah, all of a sudden, things are looking pretty darn good. Barchi has just shown that he's a young guy, but the guy's got hands. He can get her done. So we're talking like three and a half minutes left. We're up three to two. I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> In a worst case scenario, really, they tie it up, got overtime, maybe a shootout. Again, coming off of two three to two victories, things are looking pretty good. But Miller makes some huge saves, especially with about 20 seconds left right in front of him. He makes this big save, and the Canucks hold on for the victory. What can I say? It was... It was a solid game through and through. The Canucks got power play goals. Well, got a power play goal and an almost power play goal. So they did well in their power play. The young guys, Barchi, Horvat, Hutton, Rodine, these guys played well. The Sedins played well. Miller played well. So you get you get the full Canucks the full Canucks team operating properly. And as a result, you get the win. The two points. Now that was the third win in a row. And then Coyotes, 3 nothing. That was a fourth win, and then 4-2 to two against Calgary on Friday. Five wins in a row. We've got the win against LA, the wins on the weekend against Anaheim and Edmonton. That's three in a row. This game was the fourth win in a row. The Coyotes was the fifth. Calgary on, on Friday was sixth. A sixth game. We haven't been on a six-game winning streak. Five or six-game winning streak since, like, 2011 or something. <laughs> but that said, it wasn't quite the 16-game winning streak that the Pittsburgh Penguins went on in 1993. And I got a chance to see one of those games again on the NHL Network. Mario Lemieux, five goals against the New York Rangers. The Rangers just collapse as they're playing for their, their playoff lives, trying to get into the playoffs. And as a result of this game, they basically get knocked out. Penguins score 10 goals. Beat Beat the uh, the Rangers ten to three. Lemieux with five. Joe Mullen with three. And Jaeger had one. And somebody else had. But yeah, this was hmm, that was a team that that was a sixteen win team in a row. It was it was just filled with with these stars and the and even the depth players like Rick Tockett was just awesome. Their goalie Tom Barrasso actually has two times. When he fires the puck, like almost just instantaneously upon getting it on a stick, fires it up to center ice 
to pass it to, to his players so his players can have a breakaway. And it really reminded me that those goalies back then, like Barrasso and like Martin Brodeur, they were able to handle the puck in such ways that changed the way you played the game. All of a sudden, the puck, could, you could fire it in on a dump and chase, and they'd get the puck, and it would be all the way back in your end instantaneously, and you, you'd have you wouldn't have time to respond, so you you couldn't you couldn't play that way. And if you did, they they get you like Barrasso did in that game. It's just uh, one of those games where you really saw the power of a incredibly talented team. And the Canucks not quite to that level of talent. Full marks to the Canucks for the six game winning streak. They played really hard and they played within themselves and they squeaked a few out, but they still did it. And so I give them credit. And I look forward to seeing what they can do in the next few games. The post-game show. This is part of the podcast where I get to tell you what's coming up for the Vancouver Canucks, who they're playing, and what's going to happen for the next week or so. All right, this is a short one. Only got three games this week. We got Vancouver in Nashville, so they continue their little road trip from Calgary. That's on January 10th. And then January 12th, they get to play in Philadelphia against the Flyers. Both Nashville having an okay season, Flyers having a good season. They're going to be tough to beat. And then on Sunday, they come home to play on January 15th against the New Jersey Devils, who are currently not doing quite as well as the Canucks even. So that's a good chance for a victory. So out of those games, I would say three points. Nashville or New Jersey, I think we've got a good chance of getting a win there. One win there between those two games, and we'll get a maybe a point in the other one. And then the Flyers, we'll try our best, but I don't expect to get a point out of the Flyers. So, yeah, out of those three games, I say two to three points. This is Aaron Lane for the Canucks Corner Podcast. If you'd like to find me, I'm at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. That's at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. Or email me at CanucksCornerPod at gmail.com. That's Canucks Corner Pod, all one word, at gmail.com. And until we pod again, thanks for listening, and keep your stick on the ice.